Welcome back to the final Emily show of 2022. Every year I do a year in review. This year, I think I'm going to do two years in review. One of them will be a bonus audio only episode, which will be more like my traditional years in review. Today, we're just doing a case year in review, looking at the cases that I covered this year and some of the cases we have not checked back in with. So when you're like, what's going on with this or what's been happening with that? Hopefully today answers your questions on the 10 cases I get asked the most about and that I haven't recently covered. So we're going to dive into it. We are going to go through 10 and I am going to try to truly make this a quick look at where each of these cases stands. A little more in-depth on some, much briefer on others. You guys have made this show just an incredible pleasure, and it has been charting across Spotify and iTunes. It does very well on YouTube and is regularly on YouTube's podcast recommends, and that's because of this amazing audience. I hope that you've had a wonderful holidays. I hope that you have a safe and happy New Year's, and I really look forward to everything to come in 2023. I am so honored to get to do this, and it's because of your support What I've noticed in all of the categories I've looked at with the podcast this year is that we are one of very few independent podcasts. We are not with a podcast network. We are not promoted by a podcast network. I barely remember to promote the podcast 90% of the time. (laughs) Things I can get better at. But this is truly an independent podcast that is supported by you, the audience, and that is not lost on me. So if you are wanting to start something new, I was terrified to start this podcast when I did. You can go back and listen to some of the first episodes. I had no idea what it would be like doing a week-to-week podcast, and we're over 175 episodes, over 200 million downloads, charting around the world, and I did this with our small little team baker and you, and you can too. It's okay to just start the thing you want to start in 2023. I, there really aren't words for how honored I am that this is what I get to do. And I get to talk to you every time I sit down at the microphone. It's a pleasure. It's a joy. I adore you. Lawnards, you are truly the greatest humans around the internet. And that is never, ever lost on me. So thank you. Let's round up some of the shit we haven't gotten back to talking about because There were a few cases that took a lot of our time this year, and we need to put those to the back burner and talk about some of the other stuff. I mean, not to say the first thing we're not going to talk about is Debbie Heard, because because of course it is. So we should just get into it. Hey there. Welcome to The Emily Show. I'm your host, Emily D. Baker, badass lawyer and everyone's favorite legal commentator, breaking down the legal shit in the news and pop culture stories you want to talk about. I've been a licensed attorney for over 15 years. I'm a former prosecutor, and I'm a big fan of the cursey words. So let's break it down. Thank you to today's sponsor, Manscaped. As we take a look back at everything that went on this year, maybe it's time to take a look forward into the new year and some delightful new products from Manscaped, including the Preserve Cologne and Preserve Body Wash. Who doesn't love their partner smelling all yummy and delicious? We love that. And if you are getting the body wash, now's a perfect time to try their new silicone scrubber. 
especially with winter skin. It really helps exfoliate and it doesn't get all nasty in the shower, which I love. It is such a great product and I've been thrilled to try it. I have to buy another one because now we need one in every shower in our house so people stop stealing mine. So if you are ready to try the new Preserve Body Wash, it has a great light woodsy scent and is infused with aloe vera and sea salt. And it keeps the skin feeling nice and moisturized either for them or for you. So if you're ready to get the gift of Manscaped, so get 20% off and free shipping when you use code Lawnard at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping when you use code Lawnard at manscaped.com. So a happy new year for getting rid of the hair down there and some delicious body wash as well. Let's get back to today's episode. We have to talk about Depp v. Heard. Of course we do. The Depp v. Heard trial took this entire globe of ours by storm in 2022. It has been called the trial of the century, the biggest trial since OJ, all the things. It's been called all the things. Um, it was, it just had, it had us gripped. We were gripped by Depp v. Heard. We got to watch a civil trial play out across our streaming devices and televisions, and it was wild. There were unexpected moments of, are you just here for your 15 minutes of fame? Well, the same could be said of you, Elaine. <laughs> Aren't you here for your 15 minutes of fame, taking Miss Heard as a client? We had, we had grumpies. We had objection hearsay. There were objection hearsay mixes on TikTok. And you know that I always will accept people gently poking fun at the experts and the lawyers more than at the parties. Because again, the lawyers are doing their job. And you know, you got the judge occasionally being like, um, that was your own question. Because <laughs> you had attorneys objecting to their own questions. And Mr. Needlehoff at one point saying, it could have been my cat doing these Google searches. I want to know what your cat is capable of. Are Fred and George doing Google searches on my computer at night? Is I need to start checking my search history. I have questions. Either way, that case had us all turning around and paying attention to the law. And it changed a lot of you into law nerds that were like, what are we going to do? What trial's next? We do trial coverage every day. This is just what I watch now. I am in it for the day in and day out trial coverage. And don't worry, there will be more trial coverage back in 2023. But the Deaf Be Heard case is done. It's done. I did not think that we would see the end of Deaf Be Heard in 2022. I am shook and I am kind of thrilled for these parties. I'm not going to lie. It's time for them to move on with their lives. And I'm I'm truly glad that they're going to be able to, or at least I hope that they will be able to. Announced on social media just a few weeks ago, Amber Heard said that she had settled the defamation case. And then Johnny Depp's attorneys put out a statement on their website as well, saying that the appeals had settled. I covered it over on YouTube in more depth, but Johnny Depp's attorney's statement made it very clear that the two parties were dropping their appeals on December 22nd. Amber Heard would be paying a million dollars to Johnny Depp, not the 10.3 million that was adjudged to him by the jury, but a million dollars. And they made it very clear that that million dollars was coming from insurance and that Johnny Depp pledged to donate it to charity. So we will see, I'm sure, an announcement about that charitable donation sometime in the future after this is paid. The insurance companies are going to still fight over who's 
paying this money, what Amber Heard owes, whether there's indemnity and all the other things. So the insurance litigation is still ongoing at this time. Who knows what will happen in the new year? But the appeals on both sides of Depp v. Heard are done. The jury verdict stands. This does not mean the case settled with no verdict. This is a post-verdict settlement. No one's pursuing their appeal, and it stands as it is with Amber Heard liable for defamation for three statements and Johnny Depp liable for defamation to Amber Heard for one statement made by his attorney at the time, Adam Waldman. And that is it. Depp v. Heard, done. 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 Are you shocked? I'm shocked. I'm shocked that it's done. And we need to move on because we covered a lot of other cases this year. So let's move on. Do y'all remember Sherry Papini? She's the Reading woman who faked her own kidnapping. She went out for a run on November 2nd, 2016 and went missing. It led to a massive manhunt, her husband making statements all over the news media and being terrified to find her. She was found 22 days after she went missing and made up a story about being kidnapped by two Hispanic women. Well, in 2020, the DNA of an ex-boyfriend matched something. Emily, do you remember what at the moment? Nope, but it's irrelevant. They interviewed him in August of 2020, and he said that he helped her really run away from home and stay at his place the entire time. Details of her original story matched his apartment. She was interviewed by law enforcement and insisted that she was not lying and was told, if you continue to not tell us the truth, you can be prosecuted for lying. And guess what they did? Guess what they did? Oh, yeah, they prosecuted her for lying. She was arrested and charged in March of 2022. And we covered it briefly, but not in depth. It was just such a wild story. So on April 14th, 2022, she pled guilty to making materially false statements to the FBI and to mail fraud in connection with her kidnapping hoax. And then April 14th. She pleads April 14th. On April 22nd, 2022, her husband filed for divorce. Can you imagine what this man has been through? His wife goes missing in 2016. It becomes a national media sensation. And then we start seeing in 2020 that maybe she was just hiding out with an ex-boyfriend. And then she gets arrested for lying to the FBI and hoaxing her kidnapping. I'm not shocked by this. And I hope that he is able to move forward in privacy going forward from this. On September 19th, 2022, she was sentenced to 18 months in federal prison, followed by 36 months supervised release and $310,000 in restitution. Mostly that should be going back to the California Victims Fund, where she accepted funds from because she was a victim of crime to pay for things like therapy. Um, okay, so hopefully she will be paying that back to the California Victims Fund to go to, you know, victims of crime. If anybody, she should be paying for her husband, maybe now ex-husband. No, divorces take a while and that was just in April. She should be paying for his therapy too. Just my thoughts. Just my thoughts. I think that's equitable. Make her also pay for his therapy. Or maybe he can get the money from the Victims Fund. He is a victim of his wife's kidnapping hoax, I think. I don't know if that would fall with clearly within the def the definition of the Victim Impact Fund, but I can't imagine what he's been put through. Can you, I just, as a parent, and one of the parents in your household goes missing, well, you have children. Imagine. I just, the, I, I can't imagine. 
I just can't imagine any of it. So um, she'll have time to think that out while she's spending 36 months or apologies, 18 months in federal prison and then 36 months of supervised release. To lighten up the story a little bit, we got to talk about cookies. The Utah cookie wars are in full swing. And yes, there are new crumble lawsuits that literally just dropped. We're going to have to get to those when I get back. <laughs> the crumble, dirty dough, and crave lawsuits are the one I'm talking about at the moment. Don't worry, food court is in full swing for 2023, and we will be getting back to all of the food lawsuits of it all. And what does ready really mean? But that's not for today. And if you're not watching over on the YouTube, you have no idea what any of those words just meant. May I suggest you go, uh, you go watch on the YouTube? But the Utah cookie words are over crumble cookie, suing crave cookies, and suing dirty dough cookies, saying, you know, they put cookies in a rectangular box. It's kind of like our trademarks. That's my summary of the thing. There's been a lot of pretrial litigation, but now they're all just in discovery. They're all in discovery, except for Crumble dunking on people by becoming the official cookie of the Utah Jazz in October 2022. So even though they're undergoing all of these lawsuits and there is a lot of sass on social media, now they're all in discovery. And this is going to be the longest, ardu most arduous part of the case unless they settle. So they have gone off to discovery. We probably won't see a lot of motions until the middle of next year given how long the discovery process can take. So with the Utah cookie wars, we're kind of in a holding pattern to see what happens. I'm going to be following it. We're not going anywhere. And well, we have a new crumble lawsuit to look for. And I've got plenty of time to think of all of the, that's how the cookie crumble puns for the new lawsuit. So we're going to be doing that. Don't you worry. We also covered the Wendy Williams story quite a lot until the court went ahead and fucking sealed everything. They sealed everything. Finding reporting on what is going on with Wendy Williams and her financial guardianship, aka financial conservatorship, that her bank, yes, her bank, Wells Fargo, petitioned the court for and had her successfully put into, is tremendously difficult. There is not a lot of information out there. For those of you that haven't been following this story, I'm going to give you a brief recap. In February 2022, an emergency petition was filed by Wendy Williams to obtain access to her Wells Fargo accounts, alleging that she had been locked out of all of her financial accounts by her bank manager managing her assets at Wells Fargo. Things quickly got very strange and then immediately locked down by the court. So we only got to see a glimpse of what was going on. Wendy Williams was accusing Wells Fargo of locking her out of accounts. Wells Fargo went to the court and asked to put her in a financial guardianship, alleging that she was subjected or could be subjected or susceptible to undue financial influence. This is not the same as like a Britney Spears conservatorship, which was over the person and the finances. This is just over the finances. This is not where they can force her to get medical treatment and things like that. They can just deal with the money. But the bank got a financial guardianship over Wendy Williams. In May, um, we saw some statements from her attorney saying that the temporary situation was unnecessary, and we have not seen anything else about it. But at the end of November, Wendy Williams did announce that she's launching a new podcast called The Wendy Williams Experience. And I very much hope 
that in that podcast, we hear a little bit more about what's going on with this situation. Because once the court sealed everything, it's been very hard. And even with the Britney Spears case, it's been much more transparent. And there's a lot to criticize in the Britney Spears conservatorship about lack of transparency. But everything in this case is sealed. And I wonder who that's protecting. Is that protecting Wendy Williams? Or is that protecting the bank? And yes, in New York, a third party can file for a guardianship. So yes, her bank filed and got a financial guardianship over her. We need more information on this one. It's wild. Speaking of wild situations, y'all remember Haley Page? Yes, the wedding dress designer who has had lawsuits back and forth with her former employer, JLM Couture. Some of you might know her from Instagram. Some of you might know her from Say Yes to the Dress. But either way, what was clear to me from the JLM filings at the beginning of this case is that Haley Page allowed her employer for a sum of money that was redacted out of everything. We're nosy. We want to know. I mean, yes, it's appropriate to redact it. Yes, it's for people's privacy. But I want to know because I'm curious how much, how much money is your name worth at the beginning of your career? Haley Page sold the licensing rights to her name permanently to JLM Couture. They trademarked her name so she cannot use the name Haley Page, her given name, in connection with selling bridal and anything that JLM sells. And that is what they are fighting over in addition to fighting over her Instagram account. That is a very brief summary of what's going on in this case. Haley Page filed a countersuit against her employer. That has since been dropped and resolved. And now the case is up on appeal. Why is the case up on appeal? Well, the court decided that during the pendency of this litigation, the Miss Haley Page Instagram account was going to be the property of JLM Couture, and they are using it as a professional Instagram. Haley Page was arguing that this was her name and this was her private Instagram, or not private in lockdown, but this belonged to her, her personal Instagram. And JLM said, no, we built this together as a brand. This is a brand account, and you're doing advertisements on it that are not JLM-backed, supported, or JLM advertisements. So Haley Page was using her um, million-plus follower, Miss Haley Page, Instagram account to do brand sponsorships like you would see on any kind of influencers page with, with followers of that size. So the court granted a preliminary injunction against Haley Page for the benefit of JLM, giving JLM control of Haley Page's Instagram and Pinterest account, and then making sure that Haley Page cannot use that name, which is trademarked to JLM, in connection with the design or manufacturer of goods that are in competition with JLM, to promote the sale of goods. So she can't use the name Haley Page to promote another competitor to JLM. So it seems that what Haley Page has chosen to do is change her name to Chevelle, C-H-E-V-E-L. So she has a new line of shoes. That's not something that competes with JLM. So she's still allowed to design a shoe line. She named it She Is Chevelle, has a website and a new Instagram is still moving along with her other Instagram, all that glitters um, or all that glitters on the gram, and has been keeping 
her fans kind of up to date on this lawsuit and said, look, we're disappointed that the court granted this injunction. I think the injunction makes sense because JLM's argument is if she has control of this account, it's going to be irreparably or could be irreparably damaged during the course of this litigation. JLM is in a very strong position. Whether you agree with them or not, they are in a very strong position because the contract from my review was very clear that she was selling the rights to her name in connection with bridal design literally forever. It says in perpetuity, forever. And whether you think it's right or wrong to be able to sell your name, it is something that you are allowed to. You are allowed to sell your name. And she did. JLM owns the name Haley Page in connection with bridal wear and all of the bridal wear categories that they sell. So it sounds like she is moving on. She is moving on under a new name, and they are still fighting it on appeal. I think at the end of the day that JLM is going to win this litigation, and Haley Page is going to move on with the name Chevelle. Did she have to change her given name for everything? No. Can I understand why she did? Because if she is going to be an influencer, can it get confusing if she's at a bridal show speaking on stage? And she's like, hey, everybody, I'm Haley Page. Is JLM going to turn around and be like, you're promoting another bridal company or you're promoting another bridal event? Does this avoid that? Yes. Do I know if she changed her given name legally or if this is now her, her kind of business facing name? I don't know. But she has announced that she has picked a new name and it is Chevelle. So you can go find her around the Instagrams. I'll be checking in with this case, but it's up on appeal. So it's going to take a little bit of time for it to come back to earth. Truly, the appellate courts move slowly, very slowly. I think they just ponder things. They're like, hmm, it's an interesting question. I need to ponder it. Um, I get that feeling all the time. I'm like, I need to think about this more. And so I'm interested to see because really this case is going to be a good reminder of the value of a name, the value of a social media account, because really they're fighting over this Instagram account hard. Because what is the value of a million follower Instagram account that you've built brand loyalty to? And what is the value of a name? So we will be talking about this case more in 2023. Another case we'll be talking about, back into the world of defamation. Here we go. Markle versus Markle is still kicking along. There was a motion to dismiss that was denied. And we are still in the middle of Samantha Markle suing her half-sister, Meghan Markle, for defamation, injurious falsehood relating to statements made in the book, Finding Freedom. Meghan Markle says that this book was an unauthorized biography. Samantha Markle, the half-sister, alleges that this book was based on information that Meghan Markle gave to the authors. So do the authors of this book become agents speaking for Meghan Markle? the way that Adam Waldman became an agent speaking for Johnny Depp, wherein you could sue Johnny Depp for defaming Amber Heard. Amber Heard sued Johnny Depp for defaming him through a statement by a third party. Are we going to see that argument here where Samantha Markle says, no, she gave this information to the authors. The authors published it. I'm not suing the authors. I'm suing her. I'm suing the person who gave that information to the authors. I think it's a harder argument here, um, but we will see. And we will see them probably make that argument because of what happened in Depp Be Heard. The suit also points to statements in the Oprah interview saying that those were defamatory. So that is a defamation suit that is going to continue to heat up into 2023 as it gets past pretrial motions. And again, 
Um, Meghan Markle's litigation in this so far has said that this is a baseless lawsuit and they will continue to fight it. We will see. It's going to be an interesting one. And I think the more we see Meghan Markle and and Harry speaking in public, the more people will be um, focused on this lawsuit. So defamation 2023. It's just it's we're never done. (laughs) We're never done. We're going to be covering defamation cases, especially because I cover pop culture. And I think we're getting into a space where reputation matters so much because of how quickly brands will drop people because of the 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 immediate sometimes damage to reputation that can actually result in damages i think we will see more celebrity defamation suits in the years to come after dep be heard what's going on in the girardi case a lot a lot are we done with girardi no never we're never done with girardi we have years of girardi but the scandal earrings sold for like $250,000 at auction. There are rumors around social media about who might have purchased them and whether it was someone that used to be um, involved with the the litigation from the bankruptcy side of it and then was terminated, though they said they quit, though others said they were terminated. So who knows? I'm waiting to see the filings. Once we have the filings from the auction house, we're going to go through who bought what when it comes to the jewelry and try to link together the jewelry that was Erica Girardi's and the jewelry that was Tom's former mistress, mistress judge. We're going to go through both of those things. But Erica has just been sued by the bankruptcy trustee for the personal side of the bankruptcy as well for over $20 million. And I have not done a breakdown of that lawsuit yet. So we will look at it again. The bankruptcy trustee in the personal side of the bankruptcy is trying to claw back money from Erica Girardi saying that Tom improperly gave her funds so that that can be distributed to creditors. And the creditors on the personal side, some of them overlap, but some of them don't. Some of them are the IRS. Some of them are the California Franchise Tax Board. Some of them are the equine vet in Florida for the racehorses. There are a lot of creditors on the personal side, and the court has already said that the personal debts will not be discharged. So whatever debts are still remaining after this bankruptcy, if they are joint debt, they're going to go to Erica and she's going to be left literally holding the bag. I mean, maybe the feedback, maybe she'll have to go to Florida and feed the horses herself. I don't know. How does that even work? I've never owned horses. This case is not done. This case is not close to done. And we are going to continue to see litigation swirling. I will note that Erica Girardi is not the only one being sued by the bankruptcy trustee on the personal side. They are also suing all of the legal lenders, which is also an appropriate place to start clawing back funds from. And I appreciate the veracity of the trustees trying to get money back to pay back the creditors saying these were improper transfers. You don't get to be first in line. So we will see a lot more of that in the ongoing bankruptcy litigation. And don't forget, we've got all the litigation going on on the other side that's not bankruptcy. We've got the Edelson PC RICO allegations. And then, and then the CFO getting arrested for a $10 million side fraud. So Girardi is going to be all of 2023. I don't see it ending in 2023. I just don't. That's my prediction. We're going to be talking Girardi at the end of next year too. Just, just write it, just write it down. We're not going to be done. We're not going to be done. Speaking of things that aren't going to be done in 2023, the movie Rust and the Rust litigations that have come after the onset shooting death of cinematographer Helena Hutchins the injury of the director, Joel Souza. We have seen 
a settlement, which seems at this point like a partial settlement of the wrongful death lawsuit from Helena Hutchins' uh, surviving husband and their son. There was an announcement that that wrongful death litigation was settled with Alec Baldwin, but it didn't specify that it was settled with all of the other defendants. And we now have a motion from Farmers Insurance to intervene. Yes, there is going to be insurance dealing with all of this. But in the announcement of the settlement between Matthew Hutchins and Alec Baldwin was that Matthew Hutchins has come on board as an executive producer of Rust and that the Rust movie will resume filming in 2023 with all of the original cast and the director, Joel Souza, on board. So we are going to see more from this as we move forward. I imagine all the production companies and their insurances will also settle the wrongful death lawsuit, and we won't see much more from that other than that motion to intervene from farmers and seeing how much insurance will end up paying out in all of this. It's still odd to me. You let me know what you think. It's still odd to me that this movie is going to be finished. It just, it, it's just strange. It just feels strange. But if this is what everyone involved thinks is the best way to honor Helena Hutchins, it's truly not my place to to disagree. They are the ones who knew and loved her. And if her husband said that this is the way to honor her legacy, then even though it feels strange to me, it might be the best way to honor someone who loved making movies. So we will see. It just feels odd. It just feels odd. But there's numerous ancillary lawsuits. A lot of them are just moving forward to discovery. The one that has been very active is the one that was filed by the script supervisor, Mamie Mitchell, who alleged a number of causes of action, assault, intentional infliction of emotional distress and negligence against a throng of people. I broke down that lawsuit over on YouTube and here on the podcast. In early litigation, most defendants have been dismissed out of the assault and the intentional infliction of emotional distress causes of action saying, look, this seems like an accidental shooting. If Alec Baldwin didn't know he was going to shoot someone, how can anyone else be vicariously liable for that? So in those civil suits, the assault, the intentional infliction of emotional distress and negligence are going forward against Alec Baldwin, but not with regard to most of the other defendants. So there's been a lot of pretrial litigation that is very nerdy law school exam, like complaints and in There are so many defendants. But then in November, Alec Baldwin filed a counterclaim in the Mamie Mitchell lawsuit. We have not looked at that on the channel yet because we have been very busy. But we are going to take a quick look at it right now. And then I am going to break that down early in 2023. So we have a full breakdown of this new lawsuit filed by Alec Baldwin. So for those of you with the audio-only audience, I am pulling up the counterclaim by Alec Baldwin, and it shows the original complaint by Mamie Mitchell, and then a cross-complaint by Alec Baldwin for negligence, indemnification, and contribution. Alec Baldwin is suing Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, the armorer, David Halls, the AD, who is alleged to have said um, it's a cold gun and handed it to Baldwin. Seth Kinney, who provided the guns and the ammo to the set, PDQ Arm and Prop LLC, Seth Kinney's company, and Sarah Zachary, the head of um, the head of 
props and wardrobe on the movie. That's probably not the technical and proper title, but that's where my brain went. We're going with it. You know what I mean? We've seen a lot more about this from the Hannah Gutierrez Reed lawsuit that I covered months and months and months ago. So the nature of this case, Alec Baldwin says, on October 21st, 2021, an accidental shooting took the life of cinematographer Helena Hutchins on a movie set just outside Santa Fe, New Mexico. Baldwin was holding the gun that shot the bullet. I mean, that's a very distanced way to say it. Which discharged while rehearsing a scene after Baldwin pulled back and then released the hammer. This, like he fired the gun. This tragedy occurred on a movie set, not a gun range, not a battlefield, not a location where even a remote possibility should exist that a gun would contain live ammo. That part I absolutely agree with. It occurred under the supervision of a a professional armorer, Gutierrez Reed, the first assistant director, Halls, who were hired to protect the actors and crew on set. This tragedy happened because live bullets were delivered to the set and loaded into the gun. Gutierrez Reed failed to check the bullets or the gun carefully. Halls failed to check the gun carefully and yet announced the gun was safe before handing it to Baldwin. And Zachary failed to disclose that Gutierrez Reed had been acting recklessly offset and was a safety risk to those around her. Baldwin did not know and had no reason to know any of these facts, which will be interesting because emails and stuff will come forward. Whether he was kept in the loop or not will be interesting to know down the road because he was not just the lead actor on this film. He was also one of the producers. It says that Kinney and PDQ were the principal ammunition suppliers. Gutierrez Reed was the armorer. Halls was the safety officer on set. And Zachary was the prop master. These cross defendants are professionals who owed a duty to those on set, including Baldwin, to keep the set safe. And this is where you get the indemnification. Baldwin is saying with indemnification, if I'm responsible civilly to Mamie Mitchell, then y'all are responsible to me for that loss. So I need to be indemnified. So if I'm responsible, my responsibility passes through to you because y'all fucked up. That's what indemnification is. Y'all fucked up, not just me. It's not on me. It's on you. The thing I found most interesting about this lawsuit, and again, I promise you a more thorough breakdown because it has email correspondences in it. It has quite a lot of information, but it also has a breakdown of what was going on at the prop house and what, you know, I love a picture. I'm sorry, audio audience. They say that when the police searched the armorer's location, PDQ, that the premises was in complete disarray with bullets in like Ziploc bags and just kind of mixed together all over the place. And then this lawsuit goes through what the FBI said about what was recovered. This is coming from page 13 of the lawsuit. The FBI analyzed a substantial amount of ammunition that was collected from the rust set and found dozens of live cartridges. Item 31 alone contained 50 live cartridges. 50 live cartridges were found on this movie set. It's stunning. It's stunning that more people weren't injured. I'm literally shocked. So when the FBI report is listed here in the lawsuit, it goes item by item talking about what had live ammunition in it and what didn't. And it said that the bullet that was taken out of Joel Souza's arm was live. 
but there was a cartridge that had live ammunition on the top of the ammo carts, a cartridge from the bandolier on top of the cart in the bandolier, a cartridge from the holster inside the building with live ammunition, um, cartridges from inside the trays, and it lists every single item that had live rounds. It was not a live round. It was not just a few. It was 50 live rounds, and they were placed inside props that were going to be used. It's stunning to me. Stunning to me. It goes on to say the FBI report on the incident shows multiple cartridges of live ammunition seized on the premises of PDQ during the execution of the search warrant, and that ammunition was commingled on the premises. Kinney also, Kinney's insurance is going to be like, yo, what the fuck? Indemnify us because this is not us. Kinney also submitted cartridges to the police that contained live ammunition. As a prop supplier, Kinney and PDQ should not have stored live ammunition on the same disorganized premises, let alone commingle it. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yes. Look, y'all, y'all know how I feel about Alec Baldwin, but he's not wrong with this. Not wrong at all with this. How is a prop house that's supplying blanks commingling live ammo and non-live ammo? Literally WTF. Don't worry, I'll yell more when we, when we break down this entire lawsuit. The fact that there were that many live rounds on set is absolutely staggering to me. How did the armorer not see this? How did the prop house deliver these on set? And I want to know from you, does this change your mind a little bit on Baldwin? It might not, but he's not wrong to seek indemnification saying, if I am responsible civilly for the harm that this caused, then everyone who set this situation up to cause this harm is also responsible. And he's not wrong. He's not wrong. And I, again, these are allegations, but if they're misrepresenting this FBI report, then there's going to be a whole lot of fucking problems. I can't imagine that they are. They have the FBI reports. But this is going to make it harder for prosecutors to go after Baldwin because the prosecutors have this FBI report and they can see the disarray, which again, do the prosecutors go after the people that led up to this gun being loaded and handed Baldwin, including the armorer? <sighs> we'll see. We'll see. For me, knowing this, I think I would be much more nervous about resuming this project. I am sure they are going to have other safety measures in place. They are going to work with a different prop house. I would, I mean, the police have seized all of this. Um, I would, I would make sure that they spend the time and money to do a clean sweep on this movie set before they bring anyone back onto set that, that could be put in danger. This was shocking to me when I went through it. Because if the prop house is delivering live rounds, that's not Alec Baldwin's fault. It's not. The armorer should have been able to tell the difference between the two. That is a minimum. It's just absolutely staggering to me. So I think we're not at the end of the lawsuits now that we have the FBI reports in. And if we do see criminal responsibility, I wonder who we're going to see it for. Speaking of criminals, the Theranos cases wrapped up this year. Well, sort of, because they're going to go up on appeal and no one's going to actually go physically to prison <laughs> until, you know, 2023. But Elizabeth Holmes 
and her former COO chief operations officer, Sonny Balwani, were both convicted of massive amounts of fraud on not just investors, but also on patients. We're going to talk about those convictions in just a second. And then both were sentenced to substantial federal prison sentences. So with regard to Elizabeth Holmes, the jury came back with much more of a mixed verdict. She was convicted on four counts of defrauding investors, but the jury also hung on three counts and found her not guilty on four counts, much different from Balwani, who was convicted on 12 counts of fraud. For Elizabeth Holmes, she was sentenced to 11 years in federal prison. She will surrender on April 27th, 2023. It's been made clear that she is pregnant with her second child. I imagine the surrender date was picked because it's after her due date, but she is also asking for a stay pending her appeal. So she's going to be appealing the conviction, of course, and they are asking that she remain out of custody during the pendency of that appeal. With a custody sentence this long, it's more likely that the court will deny it. But her attorneys argue, look, she's been out of custody for over four years pending this case. She's not a flight risk. Her bond is secured with her parents' home. She hasn't gone anywhere. She's having another child. She's not going to go anywhere. We'll see what the court does. I think they will still say, "Um, I'm sorry, on April 27th, you're going to prison. But we'll see, and I think we'll see that rolling early on in the new year, and then I'll be following along with the appeal. I'm curious to to what some of the issues they will bring up. And now we know so much about appeals and designations of error, it'll be good to go through it together. And then for Sonny Balwani, he was convicted for 12 years and nine months, which is interesting given how many more counts he was convicted of. But this also goes to the culpability of the parties, and the judge is the same judge who sentenced both. See how involved Elizabeth Holmes was in this fraud and how involved Sonny Balwani was. People wouldn't have bought into Theranos but for Elizabeth Holmes. But Sonny Balwani kept this going, though he did see arguments in his sentencing memo that he was telling Elizabeth Holmes, you can't continue to say these things in public. And he was almost trying to rein her back in. I wonder if that played into the judge's sentencing considerations. And down the road, we will get to see those sentencing transcripts. But he was sentenced to 12 years, nine months, will be surrendering on March 15th, and has already filed his notice of appeal. With that, we have one more case that we've been covering this year, the Alec Murdoch case out of South Carolina. This is not really a roundup. This is a note. That case is supposed to be going to trial at the end of January, and that trial will be streamed. So that is the next trial I intend to be streaming and catching you up on. I am going to do a full breakdown of where we are now because there have been federal convictions. There are new charges against Alec Murdoch, new information from a hearing about the evidence that may or may not come in at trial. And I hope we have a ruling on that before I do a more thorough breakdown. But there are 99 charges now pending against Alec Murdoch. He is going to trial for the murder of his wife and his son. It is going to be a hard-fought trial. It is a criminal trial, and the prosecution is arguing that they want to bring in a lot of motive, saying that this is a decades-long fraud that culminated in a murder. So explaining why these murders happened was really to cover up the fraud. And remember, these murders happened before Alec Murdoch hired someone to kill him, and that person failed. He's still pending charges on that, too. So is the person that he hired. So we're going to do another roundup of all the things that have happened since. But if you have not caught up yet on what's going on with the Murdoch case, 
I have a breakdown of like up to Alec Murdoch getting charged with the murder of his wife and son with a timeline of all of that back in the Emily Show archives. I will link that in the show notes and I will link that um, for the YouTube audience as well if you want to go get caught up because that's where we're jumping into 2023 with day in and day out live trial coverage of the Murdoch case. I adore the judge in this case. I love everyone's South Carolina accent. It, it's just it's just going to be, it's, it's kind of the definition of an insult wrapped in velvet because these attorneys have been kind of going hard in court, but it all just sounds so civilized. I don't know. I love it. I'm I'm ready to see these attorneys um, do their work. These attorneys are going to be working. A criminal case is different than a civil case, but the judge in this case is not taking anyone's shit. And I am here for all of it. And truly on the side of the Murdoch family, they might get some answers in the course of this trial. They might not. I can't imagine what that's going to be like and how torn you would be um, when kind of the head of the family is accused of killing um, two other members of the family. It's it's a difficult thing to wrap your head around. And I don't know if we will get all the answers that we are looking for, but the government certainly has theories about the lying and the stealing, not just from clients, but from others. It's such a staggering case. And um, truly, we will see it play out in January. Note, criminal trials are subject to getting pushed back. Dates get delayed. Attorneys get sick. Things happen. But these defense attorneys have been pushing this case within the time limit, which keeps prosecutors running. Normally, murder cases from the time an arrest is made to the time it goes to trial can be years. This case has moved very, very quickly, and we will absolutely see what happens. So with all of that, I'm going to thank you for an incredible 2022. Thank you for letting me break down kind of the, the cases that the where are they now and the what's coming next of it all. It truly is a pleasure. Lawnards, you are the best. You are welcome to join our members-only community. I'll be posting a little bit there while I'm away from social media with the family over the holidays at lawnardsunite.com. You're still welcome to get your Lawnard merch at lawnardshop.com. When I say that we are an independent podcast and an independent creator supported by y'all, it's absolutely the truth. So I'm going to share with you the places to do that if you can and want to. With that, let's raise a glass, y'all, to the end of 2022. I can't believe it. Hold on. The the YouTube audience knows what's coming. Hope you don't have your cat on your lap. I can't believe it's the end of 2022. We made it, y'all. We did it. Celebrate. I know we're supposed to sing old Lang Syne. I just, I just can't. So with that, may your Wi-Fi be strong. May your toilet paper be plentiful. May your family be well. May your holiday treats be delicious. May you stay warm and may the odds be ever in your favor. Thank you for being a Lawnard in 2022. I look forward to seeing you as a Lawnard in 2023. Cheers. What a, what a year, you guys. It's been, it's been a lot. It, it's been a lot. I think we all deserve a pat on the back. We did it. So that's a wrap. 2022. That's a wrap. <laughs>